Ophelia Chong has described herself as a true multitasker, an illustrator, a designer, a teacher, a networker, and a writer of short blasts of pent-up hot air. She's also a very generous woman who is open about sharing not only her talents, but her knowledge of social networking to promote not only herself and her own work, but that of the many people she connects with, both virtually and in the real world. Hello. Hey, Ophelia. How you doing? Good, good. Welcome. Welcome to the show. It's uh, Thank you very much. I've, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, so I'm glad we finally were able to sort of... I've been waiting, <laughs> waiting for the invite, <laughs> patiently. I was uh, reading uh, about you, and I didn't realize you were from, from Canada. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised in Toronto, and I came down in 1985 to go to Art Center. One of the things I was reading about you is that when you were... When you were a child, that your interest in sort of the visual arts became began when you were really, really young. Right. And you were talking about in there about riding your bike around town and that somehow that sort of provides a sort of a stimulus for for your interest in, in the visual. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm probably one of the most dangerous drivers on the road because when I drive, it's not daydreaming, but I start thinking. Is how I use. Um, it's how I meditate and how I come up with ideas. And when I was in Toronto, I didn't have a car. I didn't start driving till I was twenty three. So I would ride my bike up and down about five miles down to the Lake Ontario and back. And I would think about what I wanted to do. And Toronto is not a very visual place. It's Canadian, so <laughs> we're limited our graphics. It's Helvetica everywhere, bacon. So it was a really great landscape not to have anything that was distractive. Uh, you could just go ride all the way down through the green and come back and come back with an idea. And I do that now while I'm driving. You started getting into collaging back then or was it drawing? or uh, Collaging. I remember making my first collage when I was in grade, I think, four or five. We had scissors and Elmer's glue. And I made my first collage at that age. And ever since then, I just love putting bits of paper together. Because I wasn't great at drawing. I wasn't really great at painting. So I found using paper was my way of using a paint. Did you find that it was sort of the tactile experience that was very uh, alluring to you? Or was it just the, the idea of taking all these different pieces together or, and sort of merging them into something, a cohesive piece or, or a combination of the two? Not sure. Uh, it's probably more the, yes, is part of the tactile part, but also... It's also a part of looking at things, looking at magazines, looking at books, and being inspired by things that I see. So part of that as well, because when I have paint, I'm not, I'm not inspired because it's just color. Okay. But when I'm looking through a book or a magazine, I see pieces of other people's thoughts. So I like taking that and chopping it up and making it into a new thought. So what did you find when you got into college? I mean, you had already been doing it before you got into college. Right. What did you feel like this having the opportunity of a formal education provided you that allowed you to sort of build on that initial interest in, in putting together these images together. Composition, color at art center in our foundation classes, the first three terms you have to, we take color theory, we take illustration drawing classes. So it broke everything down for me where everything I did before was naive art. Then I started learning how to make things better by uh, with Judy Crook's class in our mm -hmm. center, learning color, 
um, painting 256 shades of gray, little swatches, really helped me focus because I can't, I'm a very, I have a short attention span. So Art Center taught me how to focus and learn how to set goals and meet them. Okay. So by naive art, you mean that it's just sort of an impulsive sort of yes. instinctual thing. And then this is much more substantive. Or, yeah, it gave or, me structure. It gave me a point saying, okay, you're going to sit down, you're going to do this, and you're going to finish this, rather than before, okay, I'll, I'll do a little bit now and maybe come back to it, So, which is really good for me because I learn how to finish and know when it's finished and then move on to the next piece. But don't you think you need to sort of strike a balance between sort of more formal way of thinking something and then that sort of more emotional, instinctual mm-hmm. thing that sort of you know, can often drive you to, to create a piece in the first place? Well, in, in the collaging, I know when I'm done. I'll start and I'll keep layering, and then I will know when I'm done. And I never have a set piece I start with. I never have an idea of what I'm going to create until I'm done. So I never have a uh, set plan. I, all I know is that I'm going to start. So that, that, that point of knowing when to stop. Mm-hmm. I understand that in a photograph, but with the kind of material that you're doing with, mm-hmm. that's kind of an interesting thing because it's kind of like – It's you know, instinctual. It's, yeah. I just know I'm done. And usually I just push away from the desk. That that's done. And then I go and scan it. So you, you were talking about how you often get inspired by when you're driving around and, and seeing things. In terms of the material you end up using to make these pieces, is it – do you collect stuff and then you go, okay, I have this back at home and in my studio that I'll be able to use to capture this this vision that I've been inspired while I was driving in a my car? A little bit. Or? A little bit of that. Um, where I find most inspiration, too, is the Norton Simon uh, Museum, the Getty, LACMA. And it's always in the same area at Huntington Gardens as well, in the 16th and 17th century paintings. That's where I go and I get inspired because a lot of my work is collage around those paintings. Mm-hmm. So when I'm driving around, I allow myself to clear my head, and then I go and sit down and do it. And usually when I start, I will go through a collection of scrap that I have. I collect a lot of old books. Um, I go to estate sales, and I buy people's books on Renaissance art, and I will go through those pages and keep flipping through the book until I see the painting I want to collage on top of. Then I'll rip it out of the book, and then I'll go to another box, which I have. It's full of just ephemera, old magazines, new magazines, and I start flipping through each page again and looking at the colors and then pulling out the pages that I want and start collaging from there. And you've done several series. Mm-hmm. So does a series just end up, you, you create one piece and then you start thinking of variations on a theme and is that how it builds? Uh, or? No, I think it's all, it just happens. There's a real no set plan. The only set plan is that I begin and I finish in one night. I never carry it over. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, because I I know that when I have, um, I'm inspired to do something, I have to keep going. And if I stop, when I come, if I come back to the next day, it doesn't feel the same. It's not the right. It doesn't look right. So I need to be on the same groove all the way through and I have to finish. 
Okay. So can you tell me about a recent piece where this whole process, where it was sort of inspired by something and how oh. it sort of evolved? Um, on Google+. Plus. On Google+, Plus, I was going through my contacts, and one of them had put up a Ernest Haeckel illustration. He's this crazy guy who had this theory of science, but the engravings from the 1800s were beautiful. The jellyfish, birds. And so I did a little more research and started pulling off images and ordering books by Ernest Haeckel. And there's one by Jellyfish, which is the most recent piece. So I took that and I started collaging all around the jellyfish. So I find a lot of inspiration online from my contacts and from other people putting things up that I will go through and, and see that, okay, I want to do that. That's something different. Because I can't work in a vacuum. I have to look at other people's work and mm-hmm. also what they're doing, whether it's writing, art, photography, travel. So in terms of all these resources, you talk about a lot about using stuff on, online and, and actually getting material. So how do you sort of um, negotiate that, particularly when you discover work online? Some of the things may be pretty common, but I would suspect that some of the other things are maybe a little more difficult to, to procure and find. Um, luckily with Google, you just go search and you hit large on the image, okay. and it's large enough to print on an inkjet. It's probably not large enough for if you're going to do a um, if you're going to print for four color process, process mm-hmm. but it's big enough that you can print on an eight and a half by eleven. So most of the work that you get, get a call to do is 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 to is is it most mostly editorial where you're being called to create an illustration or? Well, right now all the work that's in uh, the books or in the shows are all used uh, not for editorial or advertising. It's uh, in um, a compilation books. The HarperCollins uh, Source Book of Illustration book, uh, Gestalten Press, which is a German publisher. All, they found all my work through Flickr, and so they would publish it in, in um, graphic arts book, illustration book. Another one's Lemon Seed, Lemon Seed and Poppy. It would be just the most... Illustration work. I have not done any editorial advertising yet because okay. I just got my rep a year ago. And so my work is very specific. What I want to push it towards is catalog work. I want to take, um, say, for instance, someone's fall line of clothing and take collage all the patterns from their dresses and sweaters and things like that. So that's what we're pushing to do now. And just recently, last week, Pattern Bank took up my work and posted it on their site. They're a trend-setting site for designers and fashion. So I'm hoping from that is it would start pushing that idea out as well. Yeah. Well, you've been a big proponent of using social media, using Flickr to put out your right. work. Talk to us about how you got started with that and how important a role has that played in terms of you getting your work and your name out there. Well, in 2005, someone told me, oh, you should join Flickr. It's really fun. So I went there, and I saw people posting photographs, and I noticed that people had groups. So I joined one group called Name Group, and it was people who were putting in photographs of businesses that had names, like uh, George's Laundry, Heidi's Gas Station. So I started mm-hmm. posting images of that and getting a lot of feedback. Then I thought, well, okay, what would happen if I posted my art? So I started posting my art, and then I started getting a lot of feedback and getting more contacts um, through there. Well, a contact is someone who lists you as their contact so that your work will show up in their feed. Okay. 
And through there, I create this huge community where people would talk to me about my work. I would talk to them about theirs. And then in about 2006, with the collage work, Gestalt found me. For, uh, the first time they found me. And my work was published in their books. Also through Flickr, I, um, my letterpress work got out. And it started being published on other people's websites. Started, people started talking about it. Then in about 2006, 2007, someone sent me an invite. You should join Twitter. And I thought, ha, you know, what's Twitter? So I joined, and I was number 12,400 of to join Twitter. And there weren't that many people back then. So yeah. there's like five or six of us that would go on and talk about it. Then it started getting bigger and bigger. And then through Twitter, I started getting work that way too. People would say, can I post your work? I love your stuff. Because on Twitter, you can put on your profile uh, a URL. And I put my Flickr one, which was the best thing I ever did. Because through Flickr, they could see all of my work. On my website, which was really basically built on glue and tape, was very hard to manage. I was able to use Flickr quickly and put up all the images up there, tag them, put keywords, add them to groups. And so I would send everyone to my Flickr, not to my website. And through Twitter, I found another huge community that weren't into art, but were into social media, who were themselves learning how to use it to push out their work through their blogs. And, um, and we didn't even, back then there wasn't hashtags yet. So no, you couldn't really search that well. Well, also, I met a lot of crazy people on there as well, and some of my best friends in real life. They be, we got offline and became really great friends. Uh, Monique, uh, Jan, there's quite a few people. And also through there, there were a lot of the geeks too. So if you had a problem, you could go to Twitter and say, something broke on my website, and you would get automatically all these responses back. It was great. And from Twitter... I found Facebook in 2007, and I post. I thought, you know, who's going to do this? So one day I posted, I hate Brussels sprouts, and I got 30 responses back. And I thought, wow, this is great. <laughs> so then I started using Facebook a lot, too, to push out the work. Of course, it's more enclosed. It's not as open as Twitter. Uh, but it was still great because people would then you would sort of get more friends, and they would push your work out, they would share. Even back then in 2007, it was pretty clunky as well. Now I would use it to post my work. Um, Twitter, I would go on. I'm not there as much as I used to be because I had TweetDeck. I had everything going on, but I found that it really sucked a lot of my time. You have to be on it a lot. Plus you have to be proactive in replying. You can't just put something up there and say, hey, look at this and not look at other people's thing and and, uh, reply to them or retweet them or Pat them on the back too, because if you're just putting your stuff up there, no one's going to care. And I think that's really been key to your success in terms of being able to use it is that you, you don't just put your work up there waiting for feedback. You actually nurture the relationships that you've developed there. And that's really been really essential for your work to be sort of promoted by those other people that you encounter online. It, it's amazing how if you put, you have to put effort in it. If people will say, well, if I put a Twitter up, no one's replying to my Twitter or looking at my stuff. I said, well, are you even replying to theirs or saying that's great? Are you even doing that? 
Um, are you adding people on your Twitter? Are you friending people? I said, no. I said, you got five friends, right? Any of those five friends don't know who you are or they aren't online either. You have to put, it's a lot of work. And especially in Flickr, I put in so much work on Flickr where every day I would spend at least an hour looking at all my contacts work and replying and saying, this is great, this is good, just to get that going and have building an audience mm. and helping them. And also through Flickr too, I teamed up with these two other guys and created the Envelope Collective where it was all mail art. So I was the one who everyone was sending their mail art to and I would scan it and post it online. And by mail art, you mean what? Um, people would draw on envelopes or decorate them and they would mail it to me and I would scan the envelopes and put it online. Okay. And those guys I've never met either, but now they're on my Facebook too. We're friends on Facebook. So it's, it's, uh, it's amazing when things are fresh and new, when you get onto it and you work really hard at it, you make the best friends. Yeah, it's Flickr. I don't know how many thousands of images get uploaded to mm -hmm. that site every day. Right. So what is sort of key for, for people to be able to find your work? Because you talk about you going out and actively looking for other people whose work resonates with you and building relationships like that. But there still are hundreds of thousands of people right. who you would like to discover your work. So how do you, how do you make that happen? One of the best things to do, if you, it's again, same thing with uh, Flickr and Twitter. If you just put one image up there, but you don't post it anywhere else, no one will ever see it. So the secret to Flickr is to join groups and groups are people who share the same interests as you. So there are cat groups, dog groups, kittens, horses, but there are also letterpress groups, collage groups, uh, there are photography. I mean, I think there's probably over at least 60,000 different types of photography groups. And a lot of them are very specific and a lot of them aren't. And before you join a group, you have to read the rules because you can't, if it's, um, say a letterpress group and you post work that's done by rubber stamps, you're going to get kicked out. But the great thing about being in these groups is that a lot of art directors and art buyers and publishers will go to these groups and find new work. And that's how Gestalt and HarperCollins, Quarry Press, Peach Pit, Theme Magazine, um, and Pattern Bank probably, and all these other places found my work. And another place, Creative Mapping in the UK, is doing an interview, and that will come out because of my Flickr work. I think a lot of people will be surprised that, th that these businesses and these publishers are actually going to Flickr. They would think that they're probably using other, quote-unquote, more professional resources to, to find it. So why do you think it's, Flickr is such a draw for them to find work? Everything, everyone wants to find the newest thing, just like you want to be on the newest Twitter or the newest social media group. And also in Flickr, it's a little bit more curated than it is in DeviantArt. DeviantArt appeals to 13-year-olds mm -hmm. who will post work from other people. These think it's just cool. At least in Flickr, you have an older group. The group skews around 25 and older, plus they have a higher income. And so you have this group that is a little more serious about their work. Plus the interface and the low cost of Flickr is amazing. It's $25 a year. You can upload as on a pro account, you can, um, 
I think upload over a hundred megs a day, right? Of JPEGs. And it's all stored on their servers. Plus, so if you ever are, if you ever lose everything, you have it stored there. And plus you can access it from any computer. So if you're traveling and someone needs an image, you can go right to Flickr, log in, drag the image out and mail it to somebody. So it's a, I use it also as file storage because I can put things up there and put um, private so no one can see it, which is it's for $24 a year. It's a great storage system too as a backup. Do you put all your work up there? Are you select in terms of what images? All my you work. Have? All your work is mm -hmm. up there. Okay. I think I have almost a thousand images up there now of uh, photography, letterpress, and collage. One of the big things – Photography is, is the idea of keywording right? Uh, in terms of mm -hmm. making things searchable, not just uploading and giving a, a, putting a caption underneath it. So talk about, especially with illustrations, what, you know, what are some of the things that you have to consider in terms of making those images searchable so they can be discovered? That's a good point because also not only joining groups is keywording because you can search through Flickr through three ways, by the person's name, by a keyword, or by the group. So if you put in keywords for my collage work, I would put collage, Ophelia Chong, Ophelia Chong collage. If it's uh, based on a painter, say Titian, I would put that in as well. I would put as many keywords as I can so that when people will search for it, I will come up. It's just similar to keywording your work on for your website so that in your metadata, in your title, and your content, that when people search, you'll come up, you'll come up a little bit higher. I think some of the students here are kind of reluctant to put their images on, on Flickr because they're right. concerned with, you know, how easily accessible it is mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Do you have any such concerns? And if you do, what sort of, you know, safeguards do you take to make sure that, you know, your work isn't used in ways that well, you Well, I want? use um, Google Alert for one thing, which is great. I use uh, Google Alert is uh, a daily email that comes from Google and they will say your name has been publish on this site. So from that, 90% of the time, I'll see my work on different sites. And most of them are great. I think, well, actually I would say 100% of them are all people saying you should go see her work, put the link in. So that I can protect, that's how I protect part of my name. The other thing about Flickr too, I hear the same argument. I don't want to put it there because they'll steal it. But the thing is, if you have a live books, photo, folio, anything, I can screen cap your work. So easily. On Flickr, I have said it that people can't drag and drop off the site. But really, you're not 100% protected unless you never publish your work online. But then who's ever going to see your work? Plus, that's how, you, that's how people find you. If I never put my work on Flickr, I wouldn't have been on all these books or art shows. Barcelona, New York, Virginia, Detroit, um, Columbus, Ohio. So... All these cities have had my artwork because they found it through Flickr. If I had tried to do it through direct mail, it would have never happened. Yeah, because the audience there is so limited. It's right. just like if And for twenty four ninety five a year compared to printing postcards and postage is nothing. Where have been some of the places that you were surprised that your work showed up? Besides the publishing, people finding me through there, a lot of websites. Uh, oh, for one, Kudel which is one of the biggest agencies in Chicago, a uh, huge agency. They posted my work. They didn't tell me, but they posted my work with links to it. Mm -hmm. Plus Swiss Miss, who um, is a 
she's a big blogger. She does a lot of work. She puts up her inspiring pieces and she blogged about my work. And through those people, they reblogged her blog of my work. So it kept getting linked over and over again. And that drives everything back to me as well. Those are uh, a few of the places. Now the one, A Curious Mind, he's an art director at Ogilvy. He posted my work. So it's all, it's, it's quite interesting. But then there are probably thousands of sites that I don't know about that has taken my work. But they can try and do it, but it's not, won't be what my work. In terms of work or income that you get as a result of this, is, does it come as a result of people licensing the images you put, put there or because you're getting commissioned to do work along the lines of the work that they, they discovered you did? I wish. Um, just with my new rep, I'm hoping that's going to start. Right now, I'm laying the foundation of getting all my work out in the books. And also, I, last year, I did a calendar for Nike. It was pro bono because it was for a charity that Nike sponsored. But the calendar was sold at MoMA, MoCA, New York uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art. So that, again, that went out as well. One of the great things about what you do is because of all the relationships that you, you've, you've built. Right. Um, and I think... My joke about you is that, you know, who doesn't she know? You know, because it seems like that's that's a big part of, of why um, I think that your success is, is really tied into your ability to be able to connect with other people. And, and give away art. Um, I send a lot of art to art directors out on the East Coast, to Mother New, uh, Mother New York, one of the big agencies, mm-hmm. Ogilvy, and they all – love it because they know who I am. So I send them these pieces. And what I'm doing is hopefully something will come out of it. A lot. It's one day. You have to be very patient. You can't just go out and say, I'm going to expect something this month. You have to be very patient and you have to work hard at it. Um, Corn doesn't grow overnight. You got to get the seed. You got to plant it. You got to water it. And then eventually you'll get corn. Same with a career. You have to plant the seed. You have to nurture it. And you just have to be really patient, but you have to get up every day to water it. If you don't and you just say, I'm going to send out one postcard and life will be great. It's not gonna, it doesn't work that way. Do you still do sort of traditional um, promotion and marketing? No. I've never sent out a postcard or direct mail. I targeted specifically people I want to send things to. Um, this year I made Year of the Dragon posters. I, last year I did Year of the Rabbit. This year is Year of the Dragon posters with Bruce Lee because he's born in Year of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. And I sent it only to 20 people specifically. Each of them signed. And so they appreciate and they like it. And one day something will come out of that. I know that you've talked in your class about Google Analytics. So mm-hmm. in terms of your blog and your website, are you sort of track, tracking the traffic based on those different outreaches that you're making? How do you sort of quantify whether or not those, those outreaches are, are successful? I have found one of the most amazing sites to put my work on, and I recommend it to my students, Cargo Collective. Uh, before I had my website, it was a standalone, and I probably tracked traffic. It was, I have had it for over 10 years. And probably over those 10 years, I've had probably about 20,000 visits. In Cargo Collective, since I joined Cargo Collective in September... Up to now, about 15,000 visits. Tell me a little more about Cargo Collective. Cargo Collective is an invite-only community website where you can go and you can have a cargocollective.com slash photographer for free. 
or you can have your own destination URL and pay them $60 a year to host it. What they offer are easy to use themes, a really very easy to use backend to CSS to upload your images, to keyword them, to do slideshows. Plus what happens is, is every time you upload an image, it works just like Flickr. Whoever's in your community will see that image go up when you go to, when you go to your community page and you can follow people. It works a little bit like Tumblr as well. So you can go to the community page where you're following and you can see all the newest images from all your friends or people you follow. So not only do you have your own website, you also, every time you post something, people know about it. It's one of the best investments for $60 a year I've ever seen. Oh, on my Flickr, I've had over a, a million visits okay. on my work. And you're tracking that within the Flickr? With, yeah, Flickr has the amazing stats. You can go to your stats and it breaks down every day who's seen what, where they came from, and let's see where they came from, what images they've seen, also what images they favorited, they starred. Mm-hmm. So it breaks down this, the stats. It's just on like Google Analytics. Okay. It's their version of it. So what kind of work have you been working on recently? You mentioned the, you know, the letterpress. calendar. Yeah, the letterpress. Uh, letterpress, the collaging work. There's a creative magazine in the UK that's going to be coming out soon. So I just did an interview with them and they'll be showing my work. Plus now I'm pushing with my reps how I want my work to be shown, where I want it to be shown, and to think a little bit out of the box. One of them is going to try and approach Johnson & Johnson. Mm-hmm. I want them to approach fashion. So it's really working with them as well. Plus, there are a couple of other things coming up too that I'm blanking on. But so how, did, how did you connect with the rep? Did they find you? Did you sort of I kept bugging them? them. Okay. And I said, these are things that are coming out. You should take me on because I'm going to be popular. So all these things are happening. I have, I don't have any clients, but I have a lot of work that's being shown and seen. So you might want to jump on this now. So talk a little more about that, because I think a lot of people, whether they're illustrators or they're photographers, they think about, well, I want to have a rep, especially when they're young, sort of tentative in terms of being persistent. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I guess it can be a fine line between being persistent and being damn annoying. Right. But so how do you, you know, what was your approach in terms of, you know, you've chosen this person that you want to collaborate with and how about what, you know, what, what your, what your thought process is in terms of being persistent, but not being too aggressive. You don't want to stalk. And when someone says I'm busy, you say, oh, that's fine. I'll come back to you later. And also the best advice I have ever heard from a rep is never call them on a Monday. Because Monday is the day that they're going through all the emails through the weekend, plus everything that has to happen during the week. So never call them on a Monday. Plus the what, how I make my living, not through collage or letterpress at the moment, but what I do is I design and market for photo reps. And I'm an art director at CalArts as well. So with the, my photo reps, my clients, I can mm-hmm. see what they have to do, how they look at portfolios how they deal with photographers and how they deal with people trying to get them as a rep. It's amazing what people will send to a rep. And if they had someone else saying, don't hit send <laughs> nine out of 10 times, they should not send that stuff. So what are the common mistakes you, 
mistakes you're seeing people um, The most common is too long an email where you go into your basically your whole life experience. What a photo rep wants to know is that if you have clients, if you shop for clients, and plus where do you fall? If someone says, I do fashion, I also do food, I can do cars too, and I love documentary work, plus I can do video motion. But they'll ask you, well, what do you do best and what can I sell you at? So a lot of photographers will say, well, I'll do anything. It says, no, what do you really do the best? So some reps will have just food photographers in their stable. They will have a food, a, one product, or maybe two products, and lifestyle, fashion. Yeah, I think that's, that's an excellent point because I think people want to work. And so they think that being a person of many hats is an advantage when right. it actually isn't. Because especially a rep, they want to be able to have something that they can say, put a label on it and say, I can sell this as that particular person. So how, going back to your own work, how mm-hmm. do you sort of narrow it down in terms of what you, you do? Because you're working with letterpress, you're doing the collages, and, you know, and you're working a lot of variations within that. Right. So how do you sort of decide that, okay, this is how I'm going to market Ophelia as this particular kind of illustrator? Letterpress I do mostly for fun. But collage is where I, what I really want to do. And when I went with to this rep, I told them I'm proactive. I blog. I tweet. I keep up my website fresh. I, I approach people to write about my work. Um, I will find the websites as well that I th- think will promote my work. Mm-hmm. So I'll actually email them and say, please look at my work. Would you please post it? Uh, because one of them was Design Cove which is a large, very big design, fashion, illustration, and photography website. And he, he published all my work. And from there, I had this huge spike in Flickr. So I try and find these people, and I will email them a short note saying, my name is, this is my work, would you please consider publishing me? Plus, I always make sure when I write something in there that I mention something they've done so they know it's not a form letter. I love the last post you did. She's one of my favorite photographers, so on and so forth. Thank you very much. And usually people get back to me right away. And plus, not only do I put a link into the work, I will put a small JPEG so it's bait. Okay. Right. You have to show a little bit of bait. Because if you just put a link in there, no one's going to click that link because... Who knows what's going to come up on your computer? So if you put an image on there, then they know, okay, I'm going to be looking at something. How, how much time do you actually spend on, on social networking? Maybe off and on an hour a day. Okay. It's off and on. It's not one straight. I'll go back and forth. I use Facebook a lot now because I find I can reach out very quickly through my network, and then they'll share it on their networks because it's trusted. Yeah. Um, and then also I will – put it on Twitter and then my friends will t- retweet those things too if I ask them. So like Twitter and Facebook. One of the things that I think is a challenge for me in terms of using that is like I make contacts but then sort of keeping up over time. Because right. I can make an initial contact but then it's three or four months later and I mm-hmm. realize that I haven't really connected with that person. And I think it's an important part of it. But considering how many people I'm interacting with online, it can be kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. So do you sort of prioritize certain relationships and, and sort of... I found a workaround. Okay. I included them on my Facebook. 
I made them friends on my Facebook. All right. So then not only if I miss them on Twitter, I get them on Facebook. So not all my Facebook friends, I'm uh, sorry, Twitter friends are on my Facebook, but all the ones, the core ones mm-hmm. are all on my Facebook. So that way I'm bringing them with me to the next place that I'm at a lot. Have you been looking into Google Plus or Pinterest at all? I love Pinterest. I use it a lot to pin things, and I see now that a lot of stuff is getting repinned. Mm-hmm. And there's some really great select people on there to follow as well. And you can develop relationships with them very slowly as well and see what they're doing. And one great thing about Pinterest, if you want to get someone's attention that you know can maybe help you in the future, is to repin their pin because they get an email saying, well, Phil Chong just repinned your pin. Okay. They might not look at it, but they go, if your name keeps coming up, they go, who is this? <laughs> and so they'll go to your Pinterest. Pinterest I, it's on the up curve, but I can see it's sort of flattening out after a while because you really have to work at it. Plus, it's getting a little bit irritating on Facebook if you tie it in with your Facebook because it starts filling up the wall that you keep pinning stuff. Mm-hmm. I just find it just repetitive. The way I've set it, I've set it up in terms of Twitter and Facebook. Is mm-hmm. If I tweet something, it automatically updates my mm-hmm. Facebook so that I don't have to do it in both. But oh. I've kind of limited in terms of what I put up right. there. I try to be very selected in terms of what I put up in the morning because mm-hmm. it's usually when I, when I do it. And I'm usually doing it for about 20 or 30 minutes. Right. Also, what I find on Facebook, if you do tumble or you – tweet. If you someone replies to one of your uh, Twitter posts on Facebook, always try and answer it back because it's then it's, uh, I see nine and 10 people don't do that. Hmm. There's a few I know cons- consistently. If I can see that they have a wall Facebook post and it's from their Twitter, I will say that's really amazing. That's really cool. But they don't come back. Then I realize that they're not using Facebook to interact. They're just using Facebook to spread the message, but they're not interacting on Facebook either. So you have to be really interactive. Wherever you post, you have to be interactive there as well. Because just because you put on Twitter doesn't mean I'm on Twitter as well. Maybe I'm just on Facebook and I Mm -hmm. see that. So I want interaction with you. So I will say, that was really great. And then nothing happens. And then eventually what happens is that I just ignore. There's one person on Facebook that is very guilty of that. And he's a, he's a very popular writer. And he has probably about maybe 1,500 friends. But he doesn't – he posts stuff on Facebook, but he doesn't interact. And so eventually that bottoms out for him as well, where people start ignoring his, his – whatever he's doing on there. And I think that ultimately those relationships are really what kind of helps because I think those people have an interest in, in your work enough that they – you know, want to make a connection mm-hmm. with you and that they become really invaluable because they can end up sharing your work with people you would never right. be aware of have access to. And if there's six degrees of separation mm-hmm. between everyone, then you never know who might end up discovering your work as a result. Right. Because to put it in the context of real life, if I'm sitting across from someone and they're saying, hey, I just did this. I just ate this. I just went here and I did that. And they're talking to me and they're looking at me and then I reply, but they don't say anything back. That's what happens on Facebook. If you say, I'm here, I'm there, I'm doing this, they're not really interacting with you. Mm-hmm. They're just putting it out there because they want people to know, but they don't. People stop caring, basically. 
Well, the last question I always ask is I ask my guests to recommend another artist for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone that you've long admired or recently discovered. So who would that one person be and why? Her name is Delia Delon, D-E-L-R-O-N, photographer. I think that's how you say her last name. Okay. Amazing work. Because her photography reminds me of 16th century paintings, the way it's lit, the color, the models. It's so evocative of this beautiful Gothic color and care with everything that's in the frame. She's one of my favorite ones so far. And there's a whole, there's probably a whole slew of them on my Pinterest too. So if you go to Pinterest, you'll see that. And the great thing about being Twitter on early is I got my name. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. I got mine too, but that's because I'm I'm it. <laughs> yeah, you're real. It's like, huh. So you don't have to go like I wear an X eighty nine eighty nine or something like that. All right. So where can people find uh, more about you and your work? Um, if you just Google Philia Chong, there'll be there's um, usually it floats to the top is my websites and then Flickr and everything else on there and then anyone else I'm mad at. So you'll you'll see all the stuff that comes up there. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibarian X, and this is... The Candid Frame.